Well, hey, good morning. Thanks for joining us as we are beginning our brand new series in the book of Ruth. We're calling Families That Last. Over the next three weeks, we're going to kind of dig into the book of Ruth and pull out some principles for our families to make them stronger. And maybe the first thing that you're thinking of this morning as we begin this series is thoughts of guilt or shame about the state of your family, where your family's been, where you're afraid your family's going. You have issues, you have problems, things that have happened in the past that are still impacting your present, landmines that you see ahead. And really when we talk about families, you know yours isn't perfect, so you have all this guilt and shame that comes up. Well, if that's you, let me start out by saying this as we begin this series. If you're suffering from problems in your family that seem overwhelming, that seem never-ending, you are not alone. You're just not. Everybody has issues with family. If you go to church, if you don't go to church, you probably still have issues with your family. There is no perfect family. Matter of fact, if any families were perfect, you would think it would be the families in the Bible. But the families in the Bible are far from perfect. Just look at the first family of the Old Testament, the patriarchs of the Old Testament, Abraham, his son Isaac, and his son Jacob. They had some messed up things in their family that might make you feel better about yours. Abraham began by leaving his home, leaving his mom and dad, everybody behind. Now, he was doing this to follow God, but you know if you've ever left home, being away from home and where you grew up, not being around, that causes issues. Abraham made a huge mistake when he had a child by his wife's servant. And then even later in life, as Abraham and his wife are traveling through Egypt, Abraham is afraid that his wife is going to be taken from him and he would be killed. So he says, oh, that's not my wife. He pretends she's his sister and gives her over to Pharaoh. It's crazy, right? His son Isaac doesn't do any better. Matter of fact, he makes the same mistake that dad did. He and his wife are in Egypt. He does the same thing, pretends his wife is his sister, uh, and, and he didn't learn. Uh, more than that, Isaac showed clear favoritism to one of his sons that I believe led to a generational conflict between them and their families that were going to run throughout the entire Old Testament. And Jacob, Abraham's grandson, Isaac's son, he repeated the sin of his father by clearly showing favoritism to one of his wives, that's right, one of his wives, and that wife's sons. Matter of fact, his family was so messed up that his other sons sold one of their brothers into slavery and then faked his death for their father. That is the first family, the founding family of the nation of Israel. They were messed up. They had issues. Why? Because all families have issues. All families have struggles. And that's what I want you to hear as we begin this series. If your family is struggling, if you have struggled, when you struggle, you need to remember you're not alone. Families that last, they don't just happen. Families that last don't come about by accidents even in the best of circumstances. Families that last have to be intentionally built. And so the book of Ruth tells us a story of a family who, like everybody else, struggled, but they didn't fall apart. They went through tough times, 
but they made it through. And so that's why we're going to look at this book, the book of Ruth, to look at some principles about how we build a family that lasts. And so when we look at the book of Ruth, this story has several different layers to it, right? This story in the book of Ruth shows the genealogy and the history of Israel's greatest king, King David. And it's interesting to note that even David's family had struggles. But Ruth tells the story of how a foreign woman becomes the, uh, a part of David's lineage and ultimately the lineage of Jesus Christ. This story of Ruth is a story that foreshadows the person and work of Jesus. We see him in the character of Boaz. And as we look at Ruth, we get a glimpse or a picture of the New Testament church. The story of Ruth is a story that above all else helps us to better understand the character of God. We see his providence, we see his sovereignty, his grace, his holiness, and above all, his invitation of salvation to all peoples of the earth. It's a layered story. It's a complex story. But we see history, we see the shadows of Jesus, and we see the character of God all here in the book of Ruth. And what's really cool as we begin this series on Mother's Day, May the 8th, that the book of Ruth is traditionally read by Jewish families during one of their Hebrew holidays that occurs usually in the month of May or June. So here we are right on schedule. Before we dive into Ruth, let me kind of round it out by giving you a, a quote from John Piper, famous pastor and author, about what he had to say about Ruth, which I think is, is pretty spot on for us today. This is what John Piper says. He says, one of the main messages of this little book is that God is at work in the worst of times. Even through the sins of his people, he can and does plot for their glory. It was true on a national level, and we will see that it is true at the personal family level too. God is at work in the worst of times. When you think he is farthest from you or has even turned against you, the truth is that he is laying foundation stones of greater happiness in your life. And I love that because that's one thing I want you to take away from the book of Ruth is I want you to take away hope. This family struggled, but they persevered. Why? Because God is faithful and he is at work even in the hardest moments of your life. So let's begin our time in the book of Ruth by zooming in and checking out the specific struggles that this family faced. And as we see the struggles they faced, we can learn how our families walk through our own struggles as well. So let's look at the book of Ruth, chapter 1. We're going to read together verses 1 through 5. So if you got your Bible, start reading with me. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says this. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. This man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of their two sons were Malon and Shilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her two sons took Moabite women as their wives. One's name was Orpha, and the second was named Ruth. And they lived in Moab for about ten years. Both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. So, the book of Ruth does not get off to a very hopeful start. 
Matter of fact, it's the opposite. It's the story of a family, a family who is experiencing struggles. We find that the father of this family's name is Elimelech, which his name says a lot about him because the two pieces of his name literally mean God is king. And then Elimelech and his wife Naomi, whose name means pleasant, takes their two sons, Malon and Shilion, and they leave Israel. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But they leave Israel because of a great famine, and they go into the territory or the country of Moab. Moab was a foreign nation that the nation of Israel was often at war with. It was a nation of pagan idolatry. It was a nation that competed to turn the hearts of the Israelites away from the one true God. Moab is probably uh, most situated in present-day Jordan. And so they, because of the famine, leave and go there. And when they go there, they find even more struggles. Elimelech passes away. Malon and Shilion both find wives, but eventually they die as well. And here is Naomi left with her two foreign daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpha. So that's where we begin. Now that's not where the story ends. The story is a story of God's faithfulness. So spoiler alert, by the end of the story, we're going to see Ruth redeemed by a kinsman redeemer named Boaz, a family restored and a legacy passed down. But that's not where they are in verse 5. Verse 5, they've experienced trouble. They've experienced struggles. And I think we can identify the three main types of struggles that they faced. I think the first type of struggle that this family faced was struggles that come from cultural sources. What do I mean by that? Some problems that you and your family face are going to be brought on by the culture of the world that we live in. If you look back there at chapter 1, verse 1, it says that during the time of the judges is when this took place. That's a very specific time in the history of the nation of Israel. It's a time after they've come into the land. It's a time before they had their first king. It's a time when the nation was set to live in the land with God as their king, but they would rebel against him. Their hearts would turn away from him. Matter of fact, Judges 21-25 says that in that time, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And as the people turned away from God, God would raise up a judge to rescue the nation of Israel. So it was a time where this nation was stuck in a cycle of disobedience, punishment, restoration, only to be disobedient and find punishment again. And so the problems that they faced oftentimes probably were not because of the choices they had made. It was the world they were living in. They were living in a time where disobedience ran wild. They were living in a time where people's hearts were turned from the Lord and everyone did what was right in their own sight. And so a lot of the problems that you face in your family may just be because of the day and age, the culture in which you live. There is no perfect culture on planet earth and there never really will be because every culture has inherent problems with it that run contrary to the ways of the kingdom and the laws of the Lord. And so those culture touch points are going to create tension in your family and you're going to, like this family, face struggles because of that. But that wasn't the biggest struggle they faced. There was another one, not just from cultural sources, but they faced struggles from natural forces. Look at what it says again in verse 1. In those days, there was a famine. 
in the land. So that was kind of what the most pressing problem, the most pressing struggle that led them to do something. There was a famine in the land. Now let's be clear, this was not a supply chain issue. It wasn't that it was tough to get food on the shelves. No, this was not supply chain issues. This was a supply issue. There just wasn't enough food. There just wasn't. There wasn't enough to go around. And so trying to find that food, they make a choice and they run away. And so here's something I think that's incredibly important for you to hear today. Is not every problem that you face is going to be directly under your control. Some of the problems that you and your family have to deal with are going to come from the cultural sources of this day and age, the time and place in which we live. And some of the struggles you face are going to be just the result of living in a world broken by sin. You may face sickness, you may face disease, you may face death or famine. And a lot of times those things are well beyond our control, but there's still struggles that we have to face. However, I would say that these struggles that were beyond the family's control were not the biggest struggle they faced. The biggest struggle they faced was not cultural sources or natural forces. It was their very own personal choices. See, it was their choices that created the struggles they faced because when the time of the judges was around, when the famine came, the man Elimelech left Bethlehem to stay in the territory of Moab. This is a big deal. Their biggest challenge came as a result of their own choice. Why? Because they were in disobedience to a direct command from God. God had given the nation of Israel the land of Israel as an inheritance to live there. He forbade them from going to foreign lands, living there, intermarrying, worshiping their gods. And yet Elimelech, whose name meant God is king, decided to make a choice as if he was his own king. And that choice to leave Bethlehem, it ultimately led to some disastrous things for he and his family. I think it's ironic that if we've talked about Elimelech's name means God is king, the name Bethlehem, that town where they were from, the town that Jesus was born in, Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And so I think the point here is that if they would have stayed where God had commanded them, they would have trusted that God had provided. So it wasn't just that he left, it was that his leaving was a sign that he did not trust in God's faithfulness and provision. And here's the thing, I want you to hear my heart on this. I really believe that Elimelech and Naomi made this choice with good intentions. They were trying to do the right thing, but their good intentions did not negate their bad and disobedient choice. I need you to hear that. Because I think as families, we struggle so often because of choices that we make. And oftentimes those choices are well-intentioned choices. I'm going to take that promotion because it'll further my career and give us more money and I'll have more prestige and power. And yet, maybe that well-intentioned choice brings about some bad effects because now you're away from your family more. You're not able to be in church enough. You're constantly overwhelmed and frustrated and angered. And so that well-intentioned choice leads to bad results. I need you to hear me. Good intentions 
are not enough. We don't need to make our choices just by our good intentions, but we need to make our choices according to the direction, teachings, and commands of Scripture. So some of the struggles we face are going to be well beyond our control from culture and from nature, but so many of our struggles that we face are because we refuse to listen and be obedient to our King. Our choices create struggles in our families. Now, the good news of the book of Ruth is in spite of all of these struggles, in spite of their bad choices, we know that Ruth and Naomi are going to persevere through these struggles. By the end of the book, we're going to see the faithfulness of the Lord on full display. So while this story begins in a very hopeless manner, it ends full of hope and possibility. That's the good news of this book. But the good news for you today is that this same faithful God is still active and working in the lives and in the families of His people. He is still faithful in our struggles. And I think that is at the core of the Christian message, that when things seem the worst, when things seem the most hopeless, that God is still at work and using those situations for our good and His glory. And the reason I think it's at the heart of the Christian message is because that's exactly what happened on the cross. When the sinless Son of God went to the cross to die a criminal's death, that had to be the darkest moment in human history. The one who had done no wrong was bearing the sins of the world. And yet in that darkest moment of history, God used it to bring about the salvation of any who would call on and trust in the name of Jesus. That's the gospel. And so if God can use the death of His Son to bring about the life of many, what can God do in the struggles that you're facing right now? See, God is faithful in our struggles. Look at what James says in the New Testament. James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now that is a huge statement that we ought not to take lightly. That James says that we should consider it a great joy when we experience various trials. Look, I know that the struggles that you're facing in your family are not fun. I know that the struggles that you're facing in your family aren't easy. But I believe that Ruth shows us that James reaffirms and the cross illustrates for all time that God is working in your struggles and can turn your struggles for your good. The testing of your faith can produce an endurance that was not there before. God can use our struggles. So let me end today with, I think, three practical takeaways to help you as you and your family encounter different struggles in your life. Number one is this, acknowledge that everybody struggles. I think the worst thing is to think that when you struggle that you're alone. 
that when you struggle, it's unique to you and nobody else deals with that. That is a lie from hell. Everyone struggles. Don't feel alone. Don't feel isolated. Acknowledge that this is something that we all go through. Number two, know that you can make it through anything as long as you don't quit. Now, I think that is kind of an obvious statement, but it's one of my favorites, right? Whatever struggles you're facing, you can make it through those struggles as long as you just don't quit halfway. That's the difference between those who make it and those who don't. Everybody faces struggles. Some people just refuse to quit during the struggle. We're having a conversation about that this week, and, and I know that's a tough pill to swallow, especially if you're in the middle of a struggle right now. And so if, you're, if you are, please don't hear this as like harsh or condemning. Hear it as encouraging. What we talked about in that conversation is, yeah, like I know that, you know, you can make it through anything as long as you don't stop. A friend of mine said, well, it's kind of like I was in the woods one day and there was a big mud hole and I was in my Jeep and I didn't think I could make it across. And I asked my buddy, said, hey, can I, can I get through that? He said, oh, yeah, you can get through it as long as you don't stop. So my buddy says, and I believed him. I hit the gas and I tore into that hole and I got halfway and sunk down to the floorboard. And I said, I thought you said I could make it through. And he said, well, you stopped. He said, my friend, so maybe there is some things that you can't make it through, even if you're going as hard as you can. And then another guy in the conversation looks at him and says, well, hold on. You didn't just leave your Jeep there, did you? He said, no. We had to call some buddies, and, and they hooked up some chains to it, and we jerked it right out. He said, well, good. Sometimes not stopping means you got to go get help. So I want, to hear, I want you to hear that today. Maybe you're in the middle of a struggle. Maybe you feel like quitting. Maybe you think you're stuck up to the floorboard in mud in your Jeep and you're walking out. I would encourage you, don't leave the Jeep there. Just go get help. Don't quit. You can make it through as long as you don't stop. And the third thing is even when you have stopped, it's never too late to start again. You know, as, as I hear myself talking, I know that some of you are thinking, but Chip, I, I, I already quit. That marriage is over. My family's broken. We haven't spoken to each other in five years. Let me just encourage you. It's never too late to start again. It's never too late to pick up and go. As a matter of fact, when you look at the story of Ruth, the, the family at the end of Ruth is almost a brand new family from the beginning of Ruth. Why? Because they didn't quit. They persevered. And they started again with Boaz and this new family. And so I want to encourage you, even if your heart's been broken, even if your family's been broken, it's not too late to start again and get back on the right path. As a matter of fact, that's the message of the gospel, isn't it? The message of the gospel is that it's not too late to start again. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, it's not too late right now for you to turn to Jesus repenting of your sin and putting your faith in him, crying out, say, Jesus, I tried to do it my way and it didn't work. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. It's not too late for you to start again. It's not too late for you to turn to Jesus. And it's not too late for you to build a family that lasts. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the principles that we so clearly see in the book of Ruth. And God, I just want to pray right now for families who are struggling. 
families who are going through a hard time and they just don't see an end in sight, God, I pray that they would find hope and encouragement in the book of Ruth. God, I pray that they would not quit, that they would keep going, and as they keep going, that they would experience your faithfulness. And God, for those who have experienced that brokenness, and, and God, they have quit. God, I pray that you'd give them the courage and the strength to start again. And especially for those who've never trusted you as Savior, God, this moment, would you help them find new life in Christ? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.